Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Because you can't use the, a modern lens to look at trans history, you know, back to 1840, because the, the, the terminology, you can't use that terminology research-wise. So recent history is so important. Now it's about real-time information, real-time stuff. Pride Month, as with past Junes, has arrived with colorful events, parades, and statements of allyship and support from companies and individuals alike. At the same time, Pride this year comes with a certain weight for many folks. That's because the status of being gay publicly and being trans just about anywhere has become a target of Republican politicians. Tension is not new with Pride Month. In fact, it's been present in St. Louis since the first Pride event here, way back in 1980. And today we're exploring what Pride and LGBTQ history means in 2023. To do that, we have two guests with us, historian Stephen Lewis Brawley, founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project. Welcome. Thank you. And LGBTQ activist, writer, and artist Terry Willits. Terry, thank you and welcome to you as well. Thank you. We also want you to be part of this conversation. What stories and people with connections to LGBTQ history are you thinking about this Pride Month? Is Pride feeling different to you this year? And if so, are you celebrating it in a new way? Share your questions or comments about that or about LGBTQ history in general. Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at stlpr.org. Now to the conversation. How does this year's Pride feel to you? Is it different? And if so, why? Stephen? Definitely. I believe it feels different, obviously, because of the recent legislative activity, um, specifically here in Missouri. And there is a sense of urgency and action. Um, Over the spring, there has been a lot of um, regional um, activism, um, a lot of car trips to Jeff City Mm -hmm. by um, the members of the LGBTQI community and allies. And so I think that's directly um, come over to, you know, June. Um, And I think that this year's prides in St. Louis will reflect that sense of maybe some urgency and action that maybe have been missing in previous years. Yeah. So prides multiple. Correct. Yes. Terry, how about for you? I agree with Stephen. I think that uh, I think there's a lot of frustration surrounding it too. I, I don't know that there are a lot of people celebrating necessarily as much as in the past. I think there's still a carryover from all of the legislation, even though it seems to have calmed a little bit with um, with some of it. You know, one being settled and signed, even though the outcome wasn't what anyone was hoping for. Um, I think that a lot of people are still, you know, making plans, you know, families making plans of what they need to do to care for their um, their loved ones right now. And, 
and they aren't necessarily in a celebratory mood. Right. This is all happening in a, a very um, real set of, of circumstances. Exactly, exactly. Now, Stephen, you've been collecting and preserving St. Louis's queer history, which is not just about pride, for many years. And most recently, you've been working to gather artifacts and stories of St. Louis's queer history, and that is for an upcoming exhibit at the Missouri History Museum. Tell us a bit about what you have been finding recently, especially if there is some connection to what we've just talked about now. Sure. I call it the real-time history. We have, obviously, um, some things we can collect from the past, but now it's about real-time information, real-time stuff. And it started during COVID when we were collecting what the community was doing. And we had the um, Pride the One Year was different, where they did the the caravan um, rally around town with Mm -hmm. all the different groups. So we started collecting, you know, buttons and T-shirts and flyers about that. So this year... I've been documenting the events that have been occurring, the rallies. Um, Some folks have donated the speeches they used to testify in Jeff City, so we have that record. So it's collecting in real time what's been happening the last six months because that's all history. Yeah, and do people seem to be eager to share with you? Absolutely. I think over the last 10 years, we've laid a groundwork in the community to, to kind of raise awareness of of the need to preserve our history. And I think that this last six months, people have really uh, understood that this is something that they need to document. Yeah. Terry, in your, in your conversations with people and just hanging out and spending time, does it feel like people are telling more about their histories and, and what they've been through? I think a lot of people, uh, not so much their histories, you know, it's more, you know, the real time. It, it, it's what's going on with them now. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people weren't sharing what was going on because, one, you, do, you never know what kind of response you're going to get um, because not everybody is receptive right. to uh, or understands, you know, what it means to be transgender. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people aren't as open about that. But I think just to, you know, to try to make change and to impact what's going on, people are sharing their stories and, and you know, trying to make that difference and, and are, you know, using their stories, you know, to, you know, generate some more hope and, and are hopeful that makes it a difference to the overall outcome of things. And, um, and if nothing else, to let others know that they're not alone in this mm-hmm. and and that you know if they need somebody they can turn to that that there is somebody else out there that they can reach out to yeah so this point of sharing stories and doing so in informal ways um that is part of your personal experience and history steve You were recently profiled in St. Louis Magazine, and you related how, as a young man in the 1990s, you befriended a local drag performer named Jimmy Walker, who performed as Betty Davis. What role did your conversations with Jimmy and meeting other folks both like and different from him lead you uh, to create the St. Louis LGBT History Project? Sure, and, you know, Terry knew Jimmy, I remember meeting um, Jimmy at Magnolia's Bar and just sitting at the bar and the 
he was very um, boisterous, I guess you mm-hmm. could say, and a little intimidating. So at first I was a little scared of him, but uh, after a few meetings and a trust was built, and I would just sit and ask questions, and he would just go on and talk forever. So sadly, he passed away, and I regretted never recording his life story formally. And I realized then that something needed to be done to a sustained effort, something long-term that we could build upon to record and preserve history. So that's how I got the idea to start the project and over the last 10 years have become very um, intentional about strategic partnering with the History Museum, with UMSO, with WashU, with State Historical, a lot of groups who do this for a living because mm-hmm. that's not what I do for a living. Oh, so okay. this is um, a, a labor of love. So I wanted to partner with experts. And so my job is to be kind of a, a front person, a cheerleader to help these organizations be all they can be to diversify their collections. Right. And before we move on, I would like to know, I mean, is there anything that you recall, Jimmy, uh, sharing with you that sort of illuminates maybe what we're experiencing now or? um, um, My memories of Jimmy are simply that, I mean, just the lighting up a room, you know, when the stories started flowing I mean, you, if you were anywhere within earshot, you stopped what you were doing and you listened. Mm-hmm. And to have an outlet now with what Stephen's doing with bringing, you know, any of our history from St. Louis, you know, into the light and, and now with the real-time stories, that you know, th- those would have been completely lost and forgotten yeah. other than the, you know, getting together with a group of people and doing the, hey, do you remember when we did this or do you remember that one night kind of thing? Yeah. We wouldn't have these. And so when, when we hear about an event or something that Stephen's doing and, and you look back on some of the stuff or even the things that are being posted on social media that, you know, when something gets donated to the group and he is posting it. I mean, just, you know, the people, the things they're posting, oh my God, I remember that. Or, and then they're like, oh wait, I think I have something too. And, and people start contributing and, and it just, it, it brings out more and more community even with that. Right. And, which it, it's just incredible to see that. And that, I think that point of joy, I'm, I'm really glad that you've brought that up, the joy and the light that does exist mm-hmm. in spite of, and maybe because of everything that's been happening. We're speaking today um, about pride and St. Louis LGBTQ history with LGBTQ artist, writer, and activist Terry Willits, as well as with historian Stephen Brawley. Now, insofar as the history of trans folks is concerned. I mean, visibility and awareness of trans people and their experiences, at least in the mainstream, has come a long way since the first official Pride event um, in St. Louis back in 1980, and even since the founding of your organization, Stephen. Terry, you know, what is it like to be a real-time person um, looking at something like pride happening right now amidst all of the circumstances that do exist, how has all of this been affecting you and some of the decisions that you've been making? For me, I'm in a a kind of a unique position for a lot of trans people. I work for a company um, that is very inclusive. Um, We have an amazing um, diversity program. Uh, You know, they 
completely supported my transition when I went through that. Um, they are just incredible when it comes to um, supporting the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I, I couldn't ask for a better company to work for. Yeah. So I'm very lucky in that. So I have had no issues with it. I can live day to day without any of the, um, you know, no bigotry at work. I don't have, you know, my coworkers that I work with on a regular basis are supportive. They, you know, I'm just like everybody else kind yeah. of thing. So, so for me, the only thing that is bothersome is when I see the difference in what I experience and what other people experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue. The only thing that I had had any issue with in any part of being trans in my life is has been when I was going through trying to get the surgeries mm-hmm. and came across an issue with insurance. And it was through my work, and they didn't even know that we had a policy that excluded trans uh-huh. care. And, and when I found that out and brought it to their attention, they immediately changed the policy for our company worldwide. Wow. So they didn't hesitate. <laughs> Once I found the, the problem and we discovered it was actually written in our policy, the benefits director changed it. Yeah. Got with the team and they changed it. So so I'm very lucky when yeah. it comes to that. But and then it also makes it very easy for me to see all the differences that I experience and what everybody else is experiencing and so many other people. Right. You know, and and it shouldn't be that way. Everybody else should have that same experience. Right. And your experience is also it's different in that we talked with trans kids here on the show. Your transition did not occur when you were a child, no. right? You were 59, mm-hmm. n- not a kid. And your your transition has come very recently. So what is it like for you to experience this along with families and children? Uh, it, it's, it, well, one, I mean, it's been real interesting because I've been you know, a lot of the same doctors that I have are the same ones that are at the transgender center. Uh, We share some of those same doctors because some of the adult transgender center shares the same medical, you know, um, staff that the children's transgender center does. Um, So I've seen, you know, a lot of what, you know, they're going through and and, and as they're growing and and building that facility. And And, uh, and, to the, to the point about, um, the history that you're collecting. Stephen, is there something in particular that you're looking for that you would like to hear from trans folks and trans families? Yeah, especially the recent history because, you know, documenting what they've been going through um, from the emotional standpoint as well as legal issues, healthcare issues, because you can't use the, a modern lens to look at trans history you know, back to 1840 because the, the, the terminology, you can't use that terminology research-wise. So recent history is so important to document because the um, history from the old days are, are forever gone. Right. Stephen Lewis Brawley is an historian and founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project, and Terry Willits is an LGBTQ activist, writer, and artist. Thank you so much for joining us today. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. With audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. 
St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.